Welcome to Songcraft. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Bomar. You're listening to Porcupine Meat, written and performed by our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Bobby Rush. I'm in love with the woman. She don't mean me no good. One of the last of the golden era blues artists, 90-year-old Bobby Rush has been performing professionally since the 1940s. After a stint traveling with the Rabbit's Foot Minstrels as a teenager, he toured the juke joints of Louisiana, Arkansas, and Mississippi before settling in Chicago in the 1950s. Starting in 1964, he released a string of singles on seven different record labels before releasing his first album, Rush Hour, in 1979. Bobby has since amassed an impressive body of recorded work that covers funk, soul, blues, and other influences. Pinning much of his own material, his standards include Chicken Heads, Bow-Legged Woman, I Wanna Do the Do, Sue, One Monkey Don't Stop No Show, Big Fat Woman, Night Fishing, and Down in Mississippi. At the age of 83, he won his first Grammy Award. Bobby is now a three-time Grammy winner with seven nominations. He's in the Blues Hall of Fame and has won 16 Blues Music Awards. Rolling Stone Magazine dubbed the charismatic entertainer the King of the Chitlin Circuit. Also known as the funkiest man alive, Bobby Rush shows no signs of slowing down. His most recent album is 2023's Grammy-winning All My Love For You. Part 1. So, Scott, we mentioned in some recent videos and episodes that we've been in Grammy season. Right. And you and I both watched the Grammys. I would say the difference is that I watched the Grammys from my couch. <laughs> right. And you watched the Grammys from a, a prime seat in the venue. Yes. As a nominee. I did. So, uh, b- b- big difference. <laughs> I-, I will say I had a-, a unique perspective that you didn't have. I will say that you were uh, undoubtedly much drier because we had <laughs> the equivalent of a hurricane and a monsoon at the same time in Los Angeles. A monsoon. <laughs> yeah. It was... Um, it was bonkers. Uh, the The weather was unbelievable. And, you know, people kind of laugh like, oh, L.A. can't handle a little bit of rain. It's like, well, I haven't lived in L.A. all my life. And I know right. what, what bad weather is. This was a legitimate blow your umbrella inside out kind of storm where the trees are like bending over. Yeah, like it yeah, was yeah. a blowing, stormy rain. And I will say that uh, standing inside. So my wife and I got there early. We went to brunch. With some other you got folks. there really early. Yeah, we got there at, at nine thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah. To I don't think that's brunch. That's just straight up breakfast. Yeah, totally. So we went to breakfast with uh, some other folks, some of the other nominees, and we uh, walked over to the red carpet and went to the premiere ceremony. So if people don't know, they give away like ninety Grammys, uh, and you only see about ten of them on TV. So most of them are done at what's called the premiere ceremony in the afternoon. So we did the red carpet. We went to the premiere ceremony. The weather was chilly. It was cloudy. We all knew it was going to rain. Well, about midway through the premiere ceremony, it just, the sky opens up and I go out and I'm looking, uh, I just got hungry cause we're sitting in there for forever. And I was like, well, I'm going to go out and like get some food. So we're out there scrounging, like I guess popcorn or a hot dog or whatever yeah. they have for sale out here. So we're standing just having a quick bite and we're looking outside and people are, I mean, women who have probably spent two hours getting their hair and makeup done Men in tuxedos, people wearing dresses, these short mini dresses yeah. that are all strappy and sparkly with like six inch heels. And they look like they're just being blown down the street. And, and this is what people don't necessarily understand that don't live here. No one's ever dressed for the rain here. No. Like when it rains, everybody's like a little not quite well put together for it, right? We don't all <laughs> exactly. have 
these the same yeah. North Face Patagonia jackets, whatever the, right. the rest of the right. world has. On a day like this for the Grammys, <laughs> no one's prepared. People, <laughs> people are particularly ill prepared for yeah. a Mon Cane. So <laughs> my wife and I. Uh, each brought a large umbrella. I'm like, I'm not even going to be messing around with one of those little compact umbrellas, and we're not going to try to get under one. I'm not holding one for you. <laughs> right. You know, you don't even yeah. try to get under an umbrella with somebody. It's like, it's no, somebody yeah. always gets wet. So we uh, we each took one of those, like, great big umbrellas. So, oh, the other thing that was, that was interesting. Um, so Killer Mike, a uh, hip-hop yeah. artist who won three Grammys yesterday, we are uh, standing there watching all these people go by in the rain. Then there's this melee occurring where Killer Mike is clearly angry about something. And he is storming out into the rain. And there are, like, security people and maybe somebody from his team. I don't know. But, like, there's just this sort of melee of screaming and yelling going against the wind up the street. And there's some poor PA that's trying to hold an umbrella over Killer Jeez. Mike. Who's already a big dude anyway. And this umbrella is just straight up inside out facing the sky. Wow. And, and I was like, whoa, what is going on? And there was some kind of, and I go, I should whip out my phone and film this and give it to TMZ as a joke. Well, this morning on TMZ, somebody who must have been standing 20 feet away from me obviously did that very same thing. Killer Mike got arrested yesterday for assaulting some kind of security person. This all happened after he won his awards. I don't know. Can what you imagine happened. if he hadn't won? <laughs> right. What kind of mood? I I could have been the I could have been the TMZ guy if I had uh, actually followed wow. through on my on my thought there. But um, anyway, that's an aside. That was a that was an interesting thing to see happen. So I still don't know the details of what happened with the uh, the Killer Mike melee, but it looked serious. Um, so then uh, yeah, so we we go over to the ceremony, which is next door. The theater that we're at, I think, is called the Paramount Theater or something like that. It's next door to the Crypto.com Arena, formerly known as yeah. the Staples Center, which we all still call it the Staples Center. Um, Named for Mavis Staples, <laughs> of course. And uh, Mel and I kind of knew a route to get there, like through a parking garage that would be minimal uh, rain exposure. So we kind of made our way we got like slightly damp but not bad and we got in we went back down the red carpet this time to be looky lose the first time was for me to be photographed on the red carpet now i'm like it's closer to the actual main ceremony time yeah let's go like you know go oh look there's that person there's that person we didn't see anybody uh it was i don't know when the big stars arrived i've done this before and we got to see barry gibb and richie sambora and like some janelle monet and weird yeah because people always ask when you live in la have you seen any celebrities and if you have an opportunity to knock them all out in in a five to ten minute span that's pretty great you've sort of yeah. you've, you've booked your stories for the yeah. next two years and i am not a guy who is uh tries to be cool and be like oh we see celebrities all the time in la it's like no big deal you don't even notice like <laughs> i'm gonna take a picture of them uh just to be like hey look at this i saw yeah. this person uh, i'm still that guy yeah um so anyway we we went back through the whole red carpet shoot kind of thing um and we got over into the, I'm just calling it the Staples Center as God intended. Um, we, we got in the Staples Center. Um, at that point, uh, it's just a mad rush of now very wet people. Uh, John Legend and Chrissy Teigen kind of went rushing by me and, and brushed my elbows like, hey, whoa, look at that. Jerk. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, apologize. Yeah. Killer Mike, get over here. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so we watched the show. It was, you know a different experience than what you had watching it at home because the, the, 
placement of the monitors, I couldn't really see what was being shown on television. I was just sort of more seeing what was on stage. You want me to tell you who played? (laughs) Yeah. Who were some of those people? So I missed some of the like facial expressions and stuff. I couldn't see that. But it was cool to kind of watch the behind the scenes goings on. And it turned out that our seats were not on the floor, but they were on that section right above the floor. And we were second row up. So we were just elevated enough. We could see over people's heads. And as it turned out, we were right by where they were bringing in all the A-listers, so we got to do our looky looing just sitting there, uh, you know, as the whole thing was going on. As people were coming back and forth, so um, I'm talking about like Oprah uh, was walking by and yeah, A-list and yeah, Miley Cyrus several times, Lenny, Lenny Kravitz, who of course were huge fans of A-list. Um, I saw, uh, well, Taylor Swift, of course. A plus list. I, I took a picture of, of Taylor and texted it to you at the moment in a in a desperate attempt to make your children think I'm cool. Um, <laughs> Worked. <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah, Meryl Streep walked by, and I was like, was that Meryl Streep? And then Crazy. they said something about, oh, Meryl Streep's here. And I, and I was like, I guess it was Meryl Streep. Um, so that was fun. As I was walking down to my seat, Ted Danson was walking next to me, as walking down the Jeez. steps. And he kind of looks at me and goes, hello. And I go... Hey, Ted Danson. And, uh, and he's like, you're right. You're not cool. When you meet celebrities, <laughs> yeah. he goes, Hey, and so I go, Hey, I'm looking really looking forward to the new season of curb your enthusiasm. And I call it curb, you know, cause I'm yeah, cool. sure. looking forward to the new season of curb. And, uh, he kind of goes, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and I was like, I guess it's not really his show. I mean, he's a character on the show, yeah, but it's I not mean, like he's done a lot of things. He's been the star of, he's probably not looking for compliments on what are you going to say? Know. Like I'm looking forward to the next season of cheers. Like, <laughs> right. Hey, you're going to bring cheers yeah. back. Um, Becker? so that was fun. At one point I went to the bathroom, uh, and found myself washing my hands next to Verdine white of earth, wind and fire, wow. uh, who, um, I can confirm it's not just the cameras definitely has the largest forehead in all of music. It's uh, nice to know he washes his hands. <laughs> yeah. He's, you know? you know, he's not one of these guys who's just going to walk out of the bathroom without washing his hands right. uh, on the way out. Now on the way out, it was insane. Uh, because they're just funneling people toward the door. And I told my wife, I said, let's just get up to the door to get oriented because, you know, once we got into the Staples Center, they kind of routed us around to where our seats were. And I'd lost track of like, where are we in relation to where our car is? Well, they're sort of pushing us out. And as they're kind of pushing us out, I get sort of pushed into Jason Isbell's back. Jeez. And so I patted him on the back. I go, hey, man, congratulations on your wins today. And he's like, looks at me. He's like, hey, thanks, man. I've never met this guy in my life, but, uh, you know, he's Jason Isbell. Uh, he's great. So, um, that would have been one of my favorite sightings, by the way. Yeah. Maybe my favorite songwriter these days. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Um, so we, uh, we, we got to, uh, pushed out sort of, we, we got to the window and I just, I just wanted to figure out where we are so we can go to another door and, well, we just got pushed out into the rain and man on the way back to the car. Now it doesn't matter because we're going home. I stepped and my wife stepped in puddles that were ankle deep, water just flooding into your shoes. Uh, we had umbrellas, large umbrellas. Have you had a tennis shot? Like, are you, <laughs> I should get one. You're good. And uh, the, my pants, it looked like I just stood in a swimming pool. Uh, it was, I mean, I was drenched from the waist down. That was with an umbrella. It was completely bonkers. Um, but I will say uh, it was memorable and it was a lot of fun. And I didn't win this year, um, but I lost out to uh, a couple of people who I, I was in the album notes category and I lost out to two people who uh, were uh, who co-wrote uh, another piece. And the other piece was the stacks songwriter demos uh, that we've talked about on here before. And the people I lost out to were Robert Gordon, who's a really nice guy. In fact, we wound up 
oddly enough, sitting next to him at the main ceremony, wow. um, which was awkward. Cause he just made me, no, it was great. <laughs> yeah. He's a super nice guy. Um, and uh, and Deanie Parker. He wrote it with Deanie Parker. And Friend we've had Deanie on the show. Uh, she was on our Christmas episode just a few months ago. And um, she's been, we did a full episode with her talking about the whole Stax thing. Deanie Parker, uh, when she worked at Stax Records in the 60s, was writing album notes for Booker T and the MGs for Staples Singers, <laughs> the aforementioned Staples Singers, yeah. uh, Johnny Taylor. I mean, she was writing album notes for all those Stax artists, and she was, you know, album notes can be uh, kind of neglected, I guess. Maybe, it's a thankless you know, job. It's a thankless job. Yeah. But she was one of those people that was kind of elevating album notes to, to an art form, and she has never been nominated for a Grammy. And here she is all these years later at, she's in her 80s, and she's still writing album notes, which yeah. is an inspiration. So, you know, uh, obviously I would have liked to have won, but yeah. if I'm going to lose, I'm okay losing to an 80 something year old pioneer who has been writing album notes for all these years and worked with legends and not gotten that recognition yet. So maybe when I'm in my eighties, I'll get mine. I say you got 30 or so years, you know, yeah. there's no rush. Listen, you're a winner to me. Well, thank you. You're a winner to me. You're a winner here at Songcraft, and and I would say our listeners consider you a big winner as well. I mean, and let's just say it again: being nominated is a gigantic honor. You know, Grammy nominee is the kind of thing you can put in front of your name. Yeah, you know, um, it so. is. And I told my wife last night. I said, uh, you know, if I had been nominated once and won once, um, that would be amazing. But I've been nominated three times, and I haven't won. But being nominated three times. Um, you know, it feels like, well, it wasn't a fluke. Uh, I'm being recognized for my work, which is gratifying. That's actually an interesting, you know, we probably should have done a whole conversation about this, but is three nominations, is it like, let's say you had 10 nominations. Right. At what point does that become bigger than one win? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I will say that after telling my wife that last night, I woke up this morning and went like, what was I talking about? Of course, I'd rather have a Grammy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I will say that Brandy Clark, who has been on the show uh, twice uh, on Songcraft, um, she was nominated for 17 Grammys so far over the course of her career. Six of them were last night, but uh, 17 nominations, no win. And last night she won. Amazing. Uh, so it was great to see uh, Brandy Clark uh, as a Grammy winner, and it was fun to watch her speech. She and I had lunch uh, a couple weeks back um, and reconnected after years. You know, we had known each other back in Nashville years ago and uh, had just kind of reconnected. And I told her, I said, hey, you're winning a Grammy this year. I can feel it in my bones. And she she's like, six. Yeah. Nominations, she can, she's like, I don't know. I hope, uh, you know, that'd be great. But who knows? So. Weirdly, out of the entire Staples Center, I was sitting uh, on the aisle in my seat, and toward the end of the night, who's coming up the the aisle but Brandy Clark, and uh, Kismet. she was looking up ahead, like look like she was making eye contact with somebody she knew up at the top of the steps, and right as she walked by, I just kind of tapped her leg while she was right next to me, and she looked down, and she's like, I said, I told you you were going to be a Grammy winner tonight, and she's like, oh my god, so good to see you, gave me a nice hug, and but it was just... She'd performed at the premiere ceremony. Yeah. Uh, Brandy Carlisle came up with her when she did her acceptance speech because it was a, a song that they duetted on together. It was just nice. It was great yeah. to see, you know. So Deanie Parker and Brandy Clark are friends of Songcraft, and it was gratifying to to see them last night. And Bobby Rush won his third Grammy 
uh, as a blues artist. And that was a lot of fun to, yep. uh, to get to see him do that. And uh, I had already written the little bio for this episode and uh, called him a two-time Grammy winner. I had to go back and do a little it. editing because yep. yep. uh, he's racking them up. So um, it was it was fun to do that and fun to get to have Bobby come give his first proper interview as a three-time Grammy winner. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a scoop, right? That, that what they say in the biz? That, yeah, that we got ourselves a scoop so. there? Got, got us a scoop. And, uh, and I will also say, speaking of scoops, that the project I was nominated for was um, for a black country artist from the 1970s named Howdy Glenn, who fell into obscurity. And um, I kind of found out about him and thought, this guy's music needs to be back out there. And, um, you know, we need to get his story told. And, and there were so few black country singers finding success in the 70s. And this guy had two Billboard charting singles and was nominated for uh, ACM for Best New Artist. And still managed to kind of fall off the face of the earth. And rightfully now we are in a time when people are starting to recognize black contributions to country music in, you know, ways that that haven't been done before. And it's so vitally important. So I was honored to have the opportunity to even yeah. write about him, you know, to get that nomination. And I did feel like this nomination was about more than me. It was about his story and, and it kind of getting out there. And I was thrilled that the LA Times did a profile on him for Grammy weekend. And it was also in the print edition. You know, a lot of LA Times stories just make the online, which of course this one did, but it was in the print edition yesterday. So even before I got up and went to that breakfast, I went to 7-Eleven, I bought the paper. Awesome. And I came home, I opened it, and I just felt such gratitude for uh, for his daughter and for, you know, his lifelong partner, Geraldine, who I had just spoken with on the phone a few days before. And she's so excited about the Grammy thing. And you know, just for them to uh, see him get some attention yeah. uh, was great. So I felt like everything worked out yesterday the way it was supposed to. It's all good. I'll get that win next time. Well, you will get that win next time. I'm confident of it. Um, and if not, I'm going to have to go over there and speak to somebody at the Grammys. <laughs> Give someone a good talking to. Yeah. And, and as far as Bobby goes, isn't it great when we get to do these interviews in person? I mean... Yeah, there's Bob. something, you know, I mean, Zoom is an incredible invention, sure. but you just can't compare with being in a room with someone, looking them in the eye, and I think sometimes it it creates for almost a more intimate conversation. Yeah, and Bobby actually came here to Songcraft World Headquarters. Yes. Um, we gave them the secret address, which not everybody gets. Uh, <laughs> right. He came with his manager, Jeff, and his friend, Miss Lowe, and, and we all kind of sat and had a kind of a roundtable discussion. O only three of us had mics, but we were all... Yeah. We're all here just hanging out. It was great. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jeff D'Elia is a, is a great artist manager, works with Bobby Rush, Blind Boys of Alabama, Dom Flemons, uh, all kinds of, he's, he's really a great guy and, and uh, grateful to him for, for setting this up. And it was fun to uh, have uh, Miss Lowe, who, who has been dancing in the Bobby Rush live show for many years. Awesome. And uh, if anybody watched the Grammy premiere ceremony, she and Jeff were up there on stage uh, with Bobby uh, when he went up to accept the award. So it was cool to kind of like pile all of us into this tiny little room here and, and just yeah. hang out. And uh, it's great conversations when the when the mics weren't running. And uh, it just makes it feel fun, you know, it makes yeah. it feel like sitting around with friends. Yeah, kind of sad it's over. Yeah, right. Well, let's let's listen to it now. It's like it, we'll, we'll relive it all over again right now. Yeah, well, here it is. This is exactly what it was like, folks. Part two. Bobby, welcome to Songcraft. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here and hope that we can uh, dry some things up like the rain. <laughs> I know. We still got this crazy rain plaguing us after Grammy weekend. It's, it's nuts. Um, you are a person who 
says your own name in songs quite a bit. And you've got a song called Hey, Hey, Bobby Rush. And a lot of your songs, you kind of have even kind of a a talking, almost kind of rap portion to some of the songs where you say, you know, people ask me, Bobby Rush. You always say, you know, your whole name. Um, But that's something that you've been doing for years. And, and, you know, there's a precedent for that with, you know, guys like Bo Diddley were doing things like that. And but you're one of these people that's been doing it like from way back. And I'm curious just from a songwriting perspective and as you're kind of constructing these songs, what is it about sort of putting your own name in there? What is it about that stamp or the, or that kind of, you know, technique that, that means something to you? Real politically. When I started it back in the day, when I started, wasn't too many people doing it. Mm -hmm. I'm the leader for this really. About 55 or 60 years later, put my name in it. Here's why, because I was involved with a radio station in Chicago called WBON. Before I bought the station, it was a station that, to never to be sold to anybody black because, it, because black music was race music. Yeah. It wasn't black music, it was race music. And then, uh, and you, wouldn't, you couldn't get airplay. But then when someone bought the station, it was a white guy who bought it before Leonard and Chess bought it. And they wouldn't play what they call racer music on it. That means black music. Right. And you and they. You had to swore in, and I was one of the radio owners who talks about this now. Good, good, you mentioned this. So my people can understand that when you swore in, said like I, Emin Ellis was my real name, or Bobby Rush. You are now on a station. You swear that you won't display who owned the station are called in the names that the record been played. Let me tell you where that come from. That because the white guy owned the station and they hired black program director and the white guy told the program director what to play. Mm. Ah. Wow. So they said, you play this and you play that. And they would play 10 records in a row. You know why that come in? Mm. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't get credits to who, to who did the next record come from and who did it. Huh. Ten records in a row, no me, no advertising, no, and you know already, if you don't have advertisement, how are you gonna pay the bill? Hmm. Right, right, right. So it ain't about record players; it's about paying the bill. If you stop paying the bill, so well, we know it's gonna hurt us, but we will hurt ourselves and get credit to these black men's wow. that's singing these records. Wow, they're saying ten records in a row. Anytime you got a 10 records in a row, you'll play a Muddy Waters or B.B. King or Bobby Rush in between that because you don't have to call their name. Yeah. I said, uh-huh, I got you. <laughs> so when I cut my record, I call my name. So wherever you play me, you know who was that wow. played the record. Oh. <laughs> That's where they come back. Real That's smart. <laughs> right, yeah. My name is Bobby Rush. I want you to know. I sing the blues, y'all, uh, everywhere I go. I've been saying the blues for a long, long time. And the blues the only thing, y'all, that's on my mind. I'm a blues man. That's what I do. I'm a blues man. I sing the blues for you. I'm a blues man. That's all I know. I mean, that issue of credit is a really important one, I think, particularly, you know, in, in the blues tradition, because there are so many bands that came along and grabbed a little riff here or there, or grabbed a little 
idea or a lyric idea and didn't give credit. Well, you, you're right. When, when, it, when, it, when, it, when it come down now, I was, and Logan helped me with the gentleman was talking last night about, about I liked it then because now you're talking about traditional blues. Hmm. What is traditional blues? <laughs> Who gave it that name? Oh, man, I just won the <laughs> Grammy on this. <laughs> but they know. You did the first interview on with this, but ain't ain't too many people gonna interview Bobby Rush with this with traditional blues, and at my age, how yeah. traditional? How traditional? Is it like say, Bobby Rush? Do you know how to sing a black song? <laughs> how you gonna ask a black man? Do you know how to sing a black song? <laughs> right. right. Are you kidding me? It's almost like saying, you know, my dog bark. Stop barking, dog. Come on. Yeah. You know what a dog do? He barks. <laughs> you can't, you know, you kick yeah. a cat by saying "bow wow," but not a dog. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's where that's where that come from. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. hope it enlightened you. Uh, where that coming from? Yeah, it re- it's like taking information out of school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you won't know who did what. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Traditional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. Well, I recently listened to the audiobook of your memoir. Oh, and... you didn't tell me. If I'd have known that, I would have did the interview with you. You know too much about me, man. <laughs> I know too much. Um, no, it's good. But I was, I was interested in a couple of things that, that stuck out to me about your childhood because you talked in there about um, when you were a kid that you would make up different lyrics kind of using the crawdad song as a template yeah. and that you were in essence creating lyrics before you were creating yeah. music of your That's own. Right. And you also said something in there about when you'd go with your dad, you know, to town and you saw a sign or you saw something that had a word on it, you didn't recognize right. you would That's write what. that word down and figure it out. And That's so it seemed to be like yeah. you were drawn to words. Yeah. I was drawn to words early. and, 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 and probably the only way I had a chance to go to school was look at the signs and write it down and get the meaning of them. I remember I was about seven or eight years old and I ran across this big word, big word to me at the time called sufficient. Hmm. I said, what is sufficient? And I went and found out later that, you know, it's enough. Uh, that's it, that's the end, draw a line, that's sufficient. What you said is good enough, yeah. sufficient. Yeah. And I didn't know what that meant, man. I said, sufficient. Man, I got to spell this word. I got to know what it meant. And that's those the kind of thing. I I tried to find the kind of things I didn't understand and know about so I could read about them and learn about so he would educate myself about the things I didn't know about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of things I yeah, because in the country it wasn't that missed on a sign bowl that you all they talked about most sign was fishing, cooking, uh, watermelon, peanuts, popcorn, lespedes, uh, which was a, was a part of a hay. Now the, the young people don't know what that means. Now <laughs> when you say you feed a cow and a horse lespedes. You didn't, that's a form of a hay, just like a Cadillac mm. car, Ford car, but it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a brand. Right, right. You know? And I, well, I went to find out about all these things. That's my way of going to school, man. Mm. Well, that yeah. was my daily work. You, yeah. You know? Well, and, and you, to this day, you obviously like words. You like wordplay oh, yeah, in, like your, in your lyrics. Yeah. Uh, do you think that came, um, you were so young when you were kind of having this fascination with words. 
did that come from a sibling or parents? Or you come just from my dad? I think come from my dad. My dad was a third grade educated man, but he was like a college grade educated reader. Hmm. He was a bookworm. Yeah, my daddy get up in the morning with a book, go to bed with a book, huh. and uh, gets to come from my dad. Yeah, you yeah. know. And your dad was a pastor as well, right? Oh, he was a preacher, and a pastor of a church, two churches, matter of fact, hmm. and uh, taught me everything I know about the blues, and made me fall in love with the blues more than ever because he never, as a preacher and a pastor, and my respect I had for my father, he never told me to sing the blues but he never told me not to. <laughs> uh, uh. That well, was a you, green light. You you were a little nervous about telling him about your first guitar, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, well, oh boy. My daddy, I, I didn't know my, my daddy knew I had this guitar. My first cousin gave it to me. He was, we called him Son, his name was John, but we called him Son because he was a junior after his father, my dad's brother. He gave me this guitar. How I got this guitar from him, he, I was about nine years old, could be a little bit younger. He was about 15. He began to smell himself. What I mean by that, talk to the little girls. <laughs> and uh, and every time the little girl would come around, I noticed that he would let me have his guitar. I hold my guitar, Junior, that's what he called me. <laughs> and I would hold his guitar in the meantime while he talking to the little girl, I would play it, you know. <laughs> So I found out what he liked and what he wanted. So I started going by like on a weekend. I would get two or three little girls from down the road. Come on, come on to my house. Meet my meet my cousin. <laughs> I get him to talk to him, my son and bring the guitar. He get to talking. He forget about the guitar and say, go ahead and play with it, boy. That's what I wanted. <laughs> you know? Distract him. So finally, get my, yeah, finally he gave me the guitar. And I hid it. I thought I hid it in a loft. What a muse and cows in the barn. And one day he told me, he said, Junior, my father called me. I'm named after my father. He said, come here, boy. I came to him. He said, he said bring that guitar here. I didn't know he knew I had a mm. guitar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he said, bring it here, boy. He tuned it up. I said, Dad, he tuned the guitar? Wow. Didn't he strong? Did it sound good? I said, you can play, Dad? He said, yeah, boy, I can play. I do a lot of things you don't know I can do. Well, <laughs> oh, man, just me and him. Man and boy, man, talk, talk. <laughs> My mama's in the kitchen cooking. He went to play it. He said, let me sing a song I used to sing to a little girl when I was older than you. Well, I thought it was going to be glory, glory, hallelujah, <laughs> when I laid my burden down. Right. I either about my mom. Right. He said, me and my gal went to check it pen hunting. <laughs> she fell down and I saw something. <laughs> I said, daddy, preacher now. <laughs> I wanted to say, daddy, what do you see? And I said, you know, I want to tell me on the clothes. Like, I said, yeah, what, yeah. what do you see, daddy? My mama said, <clears throat> me don't say that kind of song to that boy. He went to sing it again. He said, me and my gal went to check it pen. I said, daddy, daddy. <laughs> Come mama, she was getting closer. And I asked my dad, I got close to, I said, Dad, he said, yeah, boy. I said, I wanted to ask him what he see. So I went to go in the kitchen, in the other part of the kitchen, get a pencil and a paper, so if he couldn't tell me in front of my mama, he could draw it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I can get a good picture about how, how he draw it. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but he said, me and my dad went to sing it, but went to sing it again. I said, Dad, how big was she? 
He's a 350-pound boy about that wide. <laughs> you know, and, and, and he mentioned it to me, little kid. I said, whoa, that's a big woman. He said, I said, what's your hat on? He's nothing but a dress, boy. <laughs> now, in my little mind, fat lady falling down, but nothing on but a dress. He said, and then he looked, he said, but the, and the wind was blowing. Oh, what did he say that for? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Fat lady fall down, nothing on but, and the wind was blowing. Oh, man, I could just see it. <laughs> I believe you wrote a song about this lady in the in the 80s, I think. <laughs> <laughs> big, big fat woman. Yeah. <laughs> when this woman came up to me, she said, Bobby, come go home with me. I said, yeah. When I got her in the bed with her, she didn't leave no room. She was a big fat woman with a little bitty bed. Would you sit on the side of it? She almost sit on my head. I ain't gonna sleep no more with no great big woman. To ask you a little bit more about your dad and specifically his role as a preacher, I'm just I'm thinking about, you know, Scott and I both grew up in church and you know what makes an effective sermon. Sermons have hooks, just like oh, songs. Oh yeah, yeah, just like song. And the, and often, if you walk away, even if somebody preached for an hour, you'd yeah. walk away with one line that yeah, you remembered because it was repeated. That's right. And everything kind of funneled into that, which is not all that unlike writing a song, you know. And and you watched your father hold people in the palm of his hand and hold their attention, you know that that had to have funneled its way into the way you man. Made you songs. Tell, I hope people listen to you. You're a songwriter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what matter is your title, your song, the hook? Yeah. You know, I ask people all the time, what your song is about? I listen to the song, tell me what's the song about. You give me three or four things in the song, you got the song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Simple ingredients, right? Simple ingredients. <laughs> the more, the more, you, the less is more, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, well, I was fascinated to learn from your book that you toured with the Rabbit's Foot Minstrels when you were a teenager. Yeah. And, you know, I think for people of our generation, when we hear minstrel show, we think of white people yeah. in blackface perpetuating terrible stereotypes. I don't think a lot of people our age realize that there were black minstrel touring groups and that for black entertainers, that was the platform to a professional career. It feels like a very different time, you know, to us to to look back on that. I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience doing that and what you learned in those years about being a, a songwriter and an entertainer. Minister Show was put together then. It was real relatively then because at that time and place, most white houses, especially if the middle class and upper had some kind of form of a black man in their yard if enough of eating a watermelon or what have you. Mm-hmm. That, that was a stereotype kind of thing yeah. right. in the yard. Now, this minister show that was owned by black, a lot of people didn't know that, but the white people ran it because they could hire black people and other people cheaper than the black people could hire black people. Mm. Mm. Wow. And that's pretty much the same pattern it is now. Huh. That was the same pattern that I relate to one particular thing was with me, myself, Muddy Water, Howlin' Wolf, John Lee Hooker, all the guys. That was a guy called Willie Dixon was in. He was an in-house main. They had another name for him. 
I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> and he worked for the white people who drove a fine hot line for the boss and cheated them out of the money for the boss. Huh. Wow. Because Willie Dixon got over, went, went away working and had a big name for being the big, biggest writer in the country and at time, at time for black musician. Yeah. How are you gonna write for a man who couldn't read or write? Huh. So you know who was writing the song. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only two guys talk about that is me and Buddy Guy. Hmm. Well, Interesting, you know. Yeah, but but then then it's it's also hurt Willie Dixon children. Hmm. It it hasn't changed. The same. Yeah, a lot of things change. A lot of things remain the same. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. Here I am as a songwriter. It's so relative to me that you mentioned what you mentioned about songwriters. The title and the hook is pretty much the song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. You know, how big a song you can get to when how when uh, Johnny Hooker said, "Boom, boom, boom, boom." <laughs> After that, what else he said? You don't remember, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Got the hook. Got the hook. Yeah. And rock and roll is the same way. I mean, it's oh, the same way. So what? You know, uh, this is a big kind of a broad question, but you know. It, in a way, when, when you deliver that hook, I mean, we know what your dad is trying to do. He's preaching. He wants to save yeah, souls. Yeah. He wants to he wants people yeah. to fill the church. You know, yeah. When when you have that hook and you know you've got it, what is it you want your listener to do? What's hard for me is always trying to say something they can relate to. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I may be talking over their head or under, mm-hmm. and it's hard to tell. But when I was writing a song called Ain't Studying You, mm-hmm. I had that in my mind 20 years before I put it out. Wow. Because black people as a whole understood it, but white people didn't. Right. Because I ain't studying you to them was I ain't studying you. Mm-hmm. Two different things. I ain't studying you, man, you imitating someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I ain't, but black people ain't studying you, I mean, I'm not thinking about you. Yeah. Yeah. But if you can make them move, make them laugh, make them dance. Or if you make them laugh, because make them move comes from the music. Make them laugh come from your story. Right. Is it easier to make people laugh or make them cry? Yeah, if, you, if, if, you, if you're talking to them about yourself and they relate to you like it's them. Yeah. If I said, you know what? I hit myself in the eye one time and I cried like a baby. Only person who relate to that who got hit, who hit themselves in the eye got hit in the eye. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you try to write a song like a mirror for it relate to most yeah. people. Mm-hmm. You, wow. you, follow, you follow me? Yeah. yeah. You know? Something That's that why the blues are so with. relative to everyone. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be black to have the blues. Right. Mm-hmm. But 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 black people are the first one talked about they have the blues. But white people have the blues too. True. You have yeah. ups and downs, you know? You know, you can have the blues uh uh when your dog died. You can always have blues when your mama Pass. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can have the blues from different situations. 
Yeah. And it's not but a sad day to you. Yeah. And the sadness don't always have to be the blues. Mm. You can have the blues when you're happy. Because mm. the same thing makes you laugh, the same thing makes you cry. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You wound up in Chicago in the 1950s, and that's where you spent many years yeah. recording for many different labels. And yeah. you're an artist who put out quite a few singles before you know we get to your first album, which, which yeah. we'll talk about. But I want to touch on a, a couple of those singles from those years. Um, Sock Boogaloo, which is, I think, was mistitled. It's supposed to be Sock It To Me Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> They've printed it wrong on the record. Um, but that was kind of a, a, an early success for you. It came out on, you mentioned Chess. That came out on the Checker uh, subsidiary. Glad you said that. It never been talked about. <laughs> Sock Boogaloo is correct. Yeah. That was a song that was a dance called Sock It To Me. Yeah. Mm. That was also a dance called Camel Walk and and and, and the Boogaloo. Yeah. So I said in the song, you put them all together and you got what? Sock Boogaloo. It's like <laughs> if you got a horse and, a, and you got a horse and a jackass, you put them together, what you have? A mule. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So when you have a buffalo and a bull, you put them together, you got beefalo. <laughs> yeah. When you put an orange together with an apple, then you got tamarind. <laughs> <laughs> how many? How long? How long, How many years you know it been since tamar since a, since a, a lemon? Right. right. Where <laughs> you think a lemon come from? <laughs> yeah. So you put it all together. You're crossbreeding the dance. Crossbreeding. Yeah. It's brought a beard. You, right. you follow me? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, cause you know, you know, I guess that makes a good grapefruit when you put them together. Sure. <laughs> People don't think about that. I'm a folk, I'm, I'm from the country. Yeah. I'm from the country. I used to see my granddaddy used to take a peach tree and a pecan tree and split the limb mm -hmm. and put a pecan limb in the tree. This truly. Google me, right? And you got a pecan and a lemon growing together. <laughs> they do that today. <laughs> Nobody never talk about it. Yeah, a lecon, I guess you would call that. <laughs> chinky pen. <laughs> chinky pen. Yeah, you've been thinking about that chinky pen since that big girl <laughs> fell down. <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> Scott, you, hey man, you, you. I thought you was all cool with me, but you. <laughs> You're bringing too much out of me. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a it's a lots of things go into writing. Yeah, a lot of thoughts go into writing. A lot of mishap, a lot of ups and downs. But you also, when you're writing, you got to think about musically where you're going, because I start to put the funk into my blues. I still talk the same talk that the blues can't talk. Uh, but I talk about what the older guys talked about. I'm using the word Johnny Hooker, B.B. King, and 
Well, holler whoop mother water. Oh, my baby left me. She left me a few nights ago. You know, I talk the same time. Oh, my baby left me, and I don't care where she go. <laughs> you you, you right. follow me? Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Cause gone is gone. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. God, how she left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, especially when you talk about having a song idea for 20 years yeah. and then finally finding the moment when it feels right, you know, there's, that's a really, I think for, for people that write songs, I think that makes sense. I think for people that don't normally write songs that may be listening, they may be like, what are you talking about? How could yeah. you wait 20 years, you know, but there is something to, hey, this, there's something almost inside of you that knows when something is right and when it's wrong. I mean, talk about that instinct a little bit. Was that always there for you, or did yeah, you kind of build that instinct? it was always instinct? there for me. I know so many things I want to say now that I couldn't say many years ago. It ain't because it's the song, it's because I'm a black man who sing them. Wow. They want to accept the same thing from me. They accept from Elton John. Huh. Right. But it's too bad it's like that. But what's good about that, I have grown up to, I know the same thing I can't say or get by with. Now, I get by with a lot of things now I couldn't get by when I was 25 years old. Because now I'm an old man now. They look at me like one foot in the grave, hmm. one on hmm. banana peel. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, to that point, I, I'm thinking in the mid-1950s, Elvis comes out. And he's doing songs that, that black artists had done before, and it, it becomes popular because Elvis has done it. You got Pat Boone doing Tutti Frutti. Um, <laughs> I mean, as far as your perspective on that and your contemporaries and your friends, were you guys just watching that going, what is happening right now? Yeah, I, I, I just uh, thank God for Jeff D'Elia and Miss Lowe, who's with me today to hear this. I just recorded some stuff with a white guitar player. I won't get into name calling right this now. But I happen to know what he wanted of me and what I want of him. I know that there's something he can sell about me I can't sell about myself. Hmm. I, I know that. Uh, if you got a plate of food and someone tastes it and never tasted it before, you only relate to it about something you taste before. When you hear a guy say, man, man, this tastes like chicken. You know mm -hmm. why it tastes like chicken? That's what he tastes before. Yeah. yeah. He knew that. If it tastes like something he never tasted before, he can't relate to what it tastes like. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So now I have a taste of this crossover with yeah. me, and, I, and I'm watching. I'm going to do the same thing they did to me and my music and the people who played the music before me. I want a piece of that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I know what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know yeah. what to do with it. And it's good. Yeah. It's good. You know, it's good. It's almost, let me see what I'm talking about. Now I'm going to record something in my way. You can have me up on the bandstands that, hey, we're going to do two to fruity. I may say two to fruity. One time, after next gonna be something else. He come down and said, man, we were gonna do two to fruit and you said something else. I said, oh man, I'm sorry, <laughs> I forgot it. 
<laughs> you're making the next, system work for I, you now. I'll say yeah. next time. <laughs> yeah. You follow me? Yeah. Now I got my bid in. You yeah. follow what I'm yeah. talking about? Mm-hmm. Now it works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it works. <laughs> you know. But 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 that's I'm having uh the talk of my life now, having the the glory of my life. Because in nineteen forty seven when I moved from Louisiana to Arkansas. That's a year or two years after that I met Howler Wolf, Muddy Water, B.B. King, people like that. And B.B., Muddy Water, they were so old. They were like 28, 29 years old. <laughs> old men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they was old guys. <laughs> right. But I look back on it now and see what I have learned from it. I missed out so much by not being with the guys who thought I was their age or what have you. And I was ducking, man, I was an old man, here come B.B. King, we was old self, man, let me go around here where the young cat said. Mm. Man, he almost 30 years old, man. All <laughs> right. You know, and uh, of course not know how stupid I could be. <laughs> and uh, and I'm still doing stupid things, but I'm hoping I'll be smart enough now to when Jeff come to me with an ideal, or I come to me with an idea with a guy that I'll be uh, I'm enough to do it and take back what belongs to me. Yeah. Cause in my biblical study, how can you tie up a, tie up a strong man outside the house? Hmm. You got to get inside the house with him huh. yeah. and tie him up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You said, you know, you can do things today that maybe you couldn't have when you were 25. And, you know, I think of a of a lyric like Blind Snake, you know, something that's that's I wouldn't even say suggestive. I mean, we all know what it's talking about, but it's it pushes the envelope in a way that you can it, it do. It pushes the envelope. Yeah. But but then everybody pushed the envelope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The biblical thing pushed the envelope. Yeah. Do you know they talked about Moses having children like the sandwich? Like the sand on the beach. Mm-hmm. You know how many kids that is? Difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, read it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sugar your blind snake girl, big as your right arm. Don't be afraid, my snake won't do you no harm. She said, I'm not afraid of your snake boy, or what your snake will do. Your snake can't do no more than I let him do. Bring your blind. Let him crawl up my leg. Bring your blind stick on. Did you hear what I said? Bring your blind stick on. Let him crawl in my bed. It ain't nothing new under the sun. Right. Everything been done. Yeah. I just didn't take advantage of it. Yeah. Now I'm planning to take advantage of it. Yeah. Let yeah. me say to you while we're talking, I have in this interview, my manager Jeff DeLear pulled some things out of me that I thought I couldn't pull out. He don't believe I could. I don't think he think I he think I can do anything. I think he just throws stuff on me and tell me to do it and don't give me no. <laughs> Or direction or nothing. He just said, "Do it," <laughs> and and I, that's cool. Yeah. And I was eighty three years old when I got my first Grammy. How yeah. much do I know? Yeah. 
I just wouldn't go away. Yeah. 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 You follow me? They ain't expecting no man to keep doing what I'm doing. It wouldn't I wouldn't go away. Yeah. As a songwriter, you're a songwriter. Yeah. You got to have a direction. Too many times guys don't have no direction. Yeah. Right. I noticed last night that some young rappers, they respect what I do because what I write has got a direction to it. Yeah. 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 Oh, I may not jail because I'm this black man who's singing this thing about Blind Snake. <laughs> but if you listen to Blind Snake, how many guys would sing about that? <laughs> not a lot. <laughs> Ain't nobody ever thought about it. <laughs> Have you thought about it? <laughs> Blind snake. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. That, there is a tremendous amount of bravery, though, in, this oh, enti- yeah. in the entire story here. Yeah. You know? I mean, and again, I've, I find myself asking, was that, was that always there? You know, as, as yeah, a kid, it was, or, it, was, it was always that because the blind state that means you go in something, don't think about what you're doing. Yeah, I'm going into something blindfolded. When I said I'm just going into something, you ain't think about what you're doing, boy. I'm just going into blind blind snake. Yeah, <laughs> but I've reversed it, and I'm talking about I got a blind snake. You know what I'm talking about? I was talking about the Santa Claus because he ain't just always Santa Claus doesn't always deliver toys. <laughs> you follow me? Yeah. <laughs> and, and and I was a kid. And I remember. I found out. I thought I really honest to God. I thought I heard the Santa Claus coming down the chimney, <laughs> and I looked up the chimney. This is the truth. And I could see to my little self. I could see a footprint all the way up, <laughs> and I could see it right mentally. Right. So yeah, he was here because I'm looking at a track. <laughs> right. <laughs> go, up, go up the chimney. He was here. <laughs> you always had the God-given imagination. Yeah. And, I, and I saw him off the tracks out around the side of the house. Probably my daddy. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't my daddy, it was another man. Right. <laughs> you know? You know? Right, right. <laughs> and I remember I'm telling him, I said, Dad, I I saw a Santa Claus track out around beside the house. I know one time he said, you did, boy. <laughs> he got like, really now, now, he probably said, it wasn't out of mine. <laughs> right. He's like, tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah um, boy. Well, when you talk about style, you know, you say that when you were young, you were thinking, oh, these, these guys are, are old guys. But you were also doing a different type of music than they were doing. It wasn't necessarily straight up blues. You were putting a lot of funk in your music, and you've called it folk funk. And, you know, Chicken Heads was a, an example. Little girl, little girl, you sure can cook. Little girl, little girl, you got me. When you cook that chicken, say me to head. Should be working, but I'm home and dead. Thinking about you, dreaming about you. Love that girl, love them chicken heads too. Without your love. I didn't call it folk funk. Okay. Let me show me. Somebody called it folk funk. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody called it folk funk. Didn't understand me. Hmm. They were saying, and it went black guys. Yeah. Mm. 
because they didn't understand. They were talking to me like we talk now. They didn't understand my talk. They said, well, you not bluesy. When they said not bluesy, they wanted to say, you don't sound like Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf. That's right. what they relate to the blues. Right. And But you got this funky beat going, mm -hmm. you know, you know. I'm the one to put the funk into the blues. Yep. I started that thing. Mm -hmm. Because I often talk about rap. I was rapping for the rappers. Yeah. But I wasn't the only one. Mm -hmm. So was Jane Brown, mm -hmm. a few other people. Louis Jordan was nothing but a rapper. Howlin' Wolf in 1954, he had a song. Said, I wore my 44 so long, it made my shoulder so. That me had his pistol mm -hmm. looking for her woman. Mm. That a mm. man had took from him. Yeah, if that ain't rap, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what the song is yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as that sort of funk sound, I mean, if if in another session in town, a blues session, if somebody walked in with a wah pedal, would they have been kicked yeah. out of the studio? I mean, is that because that that's part of what made that sound? I so got unique. a guitar player with me that been with me twenty five thirty years. He got wah wah pedals everywhere. Now he gonna when he hears the interview he gonna die. <laughs> it kills me to see black guys got a wall wall trying to play like a white guy who trying to sound black. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's, what they doing. <laughs> that's, that's a feedback a loop. Yeah, that's a shame to my race. Hmm. You follow me? Mm -hmm. You got Carmichael player got bullet microphone trying mm -hmm. to do what Little Walter did mm -hmm. or what I do. Mm-hmm. Low can testify this and so good just we never thought about it. When I pick the hot mock up, I always sing to what I'm singing to. <laughs> never my never mic. So it ain't the microphone. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> right. It's right here. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's right here. You can get all all the gear me, you want, but it's let me be tell you something we talk. This is my hot Mm-hmm. Most guys say, <laughs> I never do that. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> now I practice to cover my hand up so it takes you longer to find out what I did. <laughs> <laughs> you follow me? You yeah. don't want somebody stealing your licks. <laughs> Abba King said one time, someone asked him, he talked real flat. He said, Abba King, how you keep the white guy from knowing what you're doing? He said, like this. <laughs> or the way he turned away from him. You follow me? Right. right. But I tell you now, it's going to be a hard for Harmonica to sound like me. Mm. First of all, Harmonica played like this. 99% of them. Mm. I play it like this. Oh, the other way around. I'm going to say that for the listener. He just turned this thing upside down. <laughs> which I'm a right-handed person. Do everything left-handed. Wow. Interesting. And you always played that way? Always. Wow. It come from I had chicken pops when I was about five, six years old. Huh. I had to reverse it off this side and put it on this side. Wow. By the wow. time the chicken pop got well, I'm used to playing on the other side. used to it. Wow. That's now you got my thing on tape. <laughs> <laughs> the secret's out. You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> Yeah, wow. man. I have tried to learn harmonica probably ten times in my well, life, you, and I have and never played. Any... Yeah, I just suck on it like, like Bob a Dylan. Like a... <laughs> like a... What? Wait, what? Your what's your low key on the piano? On the left. Mine on the right. Huh. Interesting. 
<laughs> so you'll never cop with Bobby Rick. <laughs> you didn't do that, did you? <laughs> well, you you said uh, you said earlier. You said I'm I'm the one that put the funk in the blues. Well, you've got a song called "I'm the One" that yeah, tells, I'm the one tells the story, and it's a it's it's sort of your declaration of who you are in music. My name is Bobby Rush. I want everybody to know I was born to sing the blues. I sing the blues everywhere I go. I'm not like BB King. I'm not like Guitar Slim. Not like Muddy Waters, Holly Whoop, and all of them. I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the one. And that's what I did when I went to Chicago. Muddy Water and Hollywood, they taught me what to do. At least they taught me what not to do. Mm. Because out of all these guys I looked up to, mm-hmm. most of them talked about how many ladies they had, how many whiskey they could drink, how many river they could smoke. It wasn't, wasn't too much else at that time. <laughs> yeah. right. And that's what they talked about. Mm. And I said, man, there gotta be something else in life for me to do. So I went with Muddy Waters in 1957. He made me drunk. I got three beers and got drunk. I haven't had one before or since in my life. Wow. 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 If I had liked him, made me drunk, probably I would have been an alcoholic. Yeah. I don't know. That's probably why you are in your 90s still jumping around on stage. Well, I probably wouldn't have been done if I hadn't met Jeff because I was getting ready to do something. <laughs> but, I was, but I was big as a black artist in the black neighborhood. Because uh-huh. when I met Lo, her parents know me from the black neighborhood. Yeah. Let me speak about that for a minute. Yeah. I was so uplifted coming to this award because... It meant so much to me. I was free. I'm free to do my the shackles off my feet, chains off mine. Because for the first time, I was able to go to Dexter Allen and do what I felt was I wanted to do. Mm. My management liked it. The people around me liked it. Promoters liked it. I didn't deal with the audience. I didn't ask nobody, and then Lo liked a few songs on there. And she critical about a lot of things. She liked it. I said, this is all right here. And I called Jeff, I said, Jeff, I got something here. Hmm. I know it was good if it, it didn't run the Grammy, but I know it was good. Hmm. In the direction, I had one feet over here and one feet over here. Hmm. And I knew I had something. Yeah. So I'm saying that to say this. When you got something good, you just got to know where to display it. Mm-hmm. I said, now, I know it's good, but who's going to like this? I think 20 years before now, well, my white audience didn't know much about me. Mm-hmm. And thank you just for this. Lowe been traveling with me for 20-something years, and she saw this change. Mm-hmm. And she began to record some things now and she gonna see the same pattern that I've saw. Something you gonna have to change. You know, as a songwriter, something you got to, cause the worst thing a woman or man can get is get a decent record. Mm. Cause then you got to 
do you got to beat your own self out. Mm, right. <laughs> That's the hardest thing in the world to do. You follow me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody gonna come at you with song, 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 song. Song sound good. But coming with the song that for you mm. is hard to come by. Yeah. That's hard to come by. Yeah. But I'm the one that put the fuck in the blues. I've been wanting to say this a long time. But now I'm in a position where I can say this. I'm putting the fuck into the blues. Yeah. Mm. Here I am. Yeah. You know? And I don't have to cut too. You know, at my age, and I don't have to worry about what you think about me. I really don't care. <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, yeah, you know. You've earned you the know. right to say whatever you want at this yeah, point. Yeah, you know. Yeah. You, know uh, you can't. You, you, you can't. See, a man, man or woman got to make a statement somewhere before we leave this land. Yeah. And I'm making my statement now. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you sound like, I mean, that's it, it, a really great place. What what a balance you just described because in, in one hand, you're right. You're just following. You you know the record sounds good. You don't need a Grammy to tell you that. But you've also got a team of trusted friends that you can lean on and they'll speak into it. And so you've got the humility to listen, but you've got the confidence to step out. And to have those two things at the same time is a pretty rare combination. I guess i got to come and step out, but I don't got people around me to give me an idea how it sounds. Hmm. I'm hoping that comes. Yeah. I think now that if I have something now, if I got a good song, I said I could tell Jeff or um, people are low. Said I got a song I just recorded. I think they'll listen now. Yeah, they wouldn't listen before before the Grammy. No, hmm. Hmm. Yeah. They, they, it was their opinion about what I have. Yeah, if they don't like it, it ain't nothing. Yeah, I had that same opinion. <laughs> Why you think I thought Muddy Wild was old? <laughs> I hear this old, but it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, I had yeah. the wrong opinion about it. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned earlier that you didn't put out your first album for many years after you started recording, and uh, that record came out in 1979, Rush Hour, and you were working with Gamble and Huff, and you know you talk about songwriting and and producing. Gamble and Huff, I mean, that's uh, those guys are you know they disappointed me. I still have a good relationship with them. They mm-hmm. disappointed me this way. They had a song, Granville White with CBS Records. He and Lou Ross said, listen, I'm up in Philadelphia. Lou Ross told me, said, you don't, Bobby Rush can write that song for you. I didn't really have been bragging about me behind the back. So when I walked in the door, they laughed said, Bobby Rush, we heard you was a good writer, man. We heard some of the stuff you do. So we got a song we want to do. We like to do it on Jerry Butler. I said, I got a song I think Jerry Butler likes the way it's a Western Union man. He did the song, the song was big, and that's still on the back burner. Mm-hmm. So finally I went back up there a couple of years later. I said, well, here I am. Give me this song y'all been writing on for two or three years. So I had to go to the washroom. I went to the washroom. I said, where's your washroom? I said, down the halls. I said, tell me some paper. I went to the washroom while they were recording. I just said, well, about 30 minutes, you come back up there. When I went to the washroom, just in the washroom. When I come out, the washroom, they said, well, when you gonna start on the song? I said, I did it. <laughs> they said, well, you did I said, when I was in the washroom. <laughs> and I did. I finished the song in the washroom. Wow. Came back, you know. And I, said, I also finished another song called they said keys. I said I got I got a song called Find My Key. And they left, and they heard the song, just me singing it to them. They went back in the room. Said we're going to lunch. 
They called some musicians. I said, yes, whatever Bobby Rich want, y'all work. So we give you $140,000 check. Go across the street, cash it, and you do what you want to do. Hmm. It oh. just met me. Well. But anyway, I worked with him and cut the record. All night long, I said all night long. Eight or nine months later, I left them. Mm. Because what I went to do with Kenny Gamble and Huff, I want to steal their head. I want to work with them as one of the writers so I could learn what they was doing. Mm-hmm. They were successful. Yeah. And I would, if I could get in that camp for about a year, well, I have it together. But they trusted me so much, they gave me the studio and the music. They just walked out. <laughs> and walked out. Yeah. I right. said, if I got to do this, I'm going to Mississippi. Right, could do yeah. this on my own. And yeah, do this on. And so I went to Jackson, Mississippi, and met a guy called Jane Bennett. And we talked about this off the cuff and under the cuff. Jane Bennett never been to the studio with me. Huh. But he got a credit for producing Bobby Rush. Huh. <laughs> but you were in there doing it yourself. He ain't never been in the studio with me in his life. Wow. And I did about 122 songs with him. Wow. Wow. Through the years. Yeah. Yeah. And they were successful. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the, that's songwriting. That's yeah. songwriting. Yeah. 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 That's what I've done. One of your big songs uh, in that era was Sue. Tell us about that one. <laughs> I record, I worked, I worked, I worked Sue on the bandstand every night. For ten years before I recorded it, huh. that kind of that's what my get over kind of a song we call it. Yeah, and then I recorded. Hmm. You know, I had problem. The line went da 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 da, and every guitar I played that I got tried to play that line for me. Said it's too boring. Dang, dang, dang. That's all. I, give me some. I said, no, no, play dang, dang, dang. And everybody I know. Then I got Jesse Robinson came down and he did it. A couple other guys and Bastai came down. And uh, every guy wanted to play anything but dang, dang, dang. They want to play do it up, but I'm Got to keep it simple. Dang, dang, dang. That's all I wanted. Yeah. And the guys thought that was, was stupid. Yeah. You know? Mm. Yeah. But the record was a big record. Right. You know? Yeah. When I was about 15 years old, I was in love with this girl called Sue. Now, Sue lived across the railroad track in my hometown. See, I know somebody saying to themselves, Bobby Rush, who is Sue? Well, let me tell you something about Sue right here. Sue, she's a good one. Oh, Sue, cross my heart and swear she's a good one. You know, uh, I think about 
my songwriting, I think about what I love, who I love, who inspired me about my writing, a lot of different people. And I'm one of the few guys around, not that I'm good, that has a lot of ingredients about different artists that I like. Mm. Country Western artists or what have you. I guess one of the true love I have about a country Western song is a song the guy had said. And I like the way he said He said, you get the hook and I get the pole, babe. You get the hook and I get the pole. We going down to the crow that hole. Honey, baby, my. He sung it just like that. <laughs> you follow me? Yeah. yeah. And man, I said, wow. When I get grown, wow. That's just kind of way I'm going to sing. And I said, that turn of Sue, she's a good one. Honey, baby, my. Y'all relate? Yeah. Honey, yeah. baby, my. Sue, she's a good one. <laughs> hey y'all, you know she had a good honey, baby. My you get the hook and I got the bowl suit. Damn! I see the connection there. <laughs> you ain't following me? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. See yeah. the love I have for the country western. Yeah. Where I come from. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. But but I didn't know at the time what I know now about writing shorthand. Shorthand mean I didn't know how to get to the point. Mm-hmm. It took me about eight minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to yeah. get to the point. Yeah. Now yeah. I know. If you don't get them in the first line or two, that first verse, the second, third verse don't mean nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. Y'all yeah. songwriters. Yeah. Yeah. Don't and, and people might make the mistake of thinking that a simple yeah. riff is easy to write. That's the hardest thing to do. <laughs> right. It's not easy to come up with something simple. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. If you don't get the first verse, you ain't got no song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I'm interested in what you said about you were working that song on the bandstand. Um, because, and I know it will work, you know, I knew. Yeah. I mean, I listen to a song like Loving a Big Fat Woman, and I think, like, <laughs> I, I, I wish I was in a live audience listening to this because I can tell how funny this would be on, yeah, yeah. on stage. But even stuff like, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Yeah. You know, so much of what you write, I can tell, is written yeah, by a guy who has road yeah, tested these you've things. You've seen people's you eyes know. while they listen to it. It's yeah. almost like having a, uh, you know, when they make a film and they go and show it to a test audience to see how they react, you get to do that as a songwriter, see how yeah. people react. You know what? I, oh, God, I didn't mean to mention it because I have Lowe with me today. And I tell her, I said, just sing it. What I be doing, I watch the people's eyes. I was saying, I can tell what they want by her eyes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if she get on the bandstand with me and sang everything I told her, just one verse of what I can tell you what song it is, <laughs> just by watching the reaction. Wow! Of wow! Wow! I imagine that improves your songwriting through oh, the years, yeah, as because yeah, you yeah, know yeah, you yeah. start knowing. Oh, I know people are yeah, gonna love yeah. this. She had the song by this. She had a part in this song. Is a part in about men looking up on her tree. <laughs> when I put that in there, I knew that was good. That's yeah, <laughs> I mean, have you had songs that you've played them live, and then yeah. and you and they have actually been a different song the first ten times you played it until yeah. it finally lands on its on its actual final version? Let me tell you that how big a main head is as a writer, about this big. Because <laughs> <laughs> what I have learned through the years, everything I have said in my life. I can say it again, just say it a different way. You ever notice that when you sit down to eat, I don't know what you like to eat, but you know you can fix it a different way. It ain't about 10 things you like to eat. 
<laughs> That's true. That's a I good know point. what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> I know Miss Lowell well enough to know she likes string beans, cabbage greens, peanut and butter and jelly, <laughs> oxtail. I know you get the ten things. Yeah. Now you fix it up different ways. You're right. That's all. Hmm. That's what I'm doing with this. This my next thing. I already got. To, I don't put everything on records now. All I got to do find a different approach. Yeah. It's been said. Ain't nothing new under the sun. Right. Yeah. If you go to see a BB King show, if you ever saw him, I tell you what, you go see five shows. You gonna see the same thing the next twenty years. Yeah. Because that's all the main head is. Yeah. <laughs> you, probably, you go to see Miss Low dance, if you see her sing, watch. If it ain't B flat, C flat, or G, ain't nothing else. <laughs> I mean, honestly. All right. That's all it is. Yeah. Now you got to learn how to have an approach to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got guitar players around. I got a fine gentleman with me. And he's a hell of a bass player and, guitar, and, got, a, and got a studio. Why you think he hit record? Cause he don't know when he got him and said he need a person like me or somebody say hey, that's it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, he don't yeah. know when he play it. <laughs> <laughs> so you got these ingredients. You got to find new recipes to to keep. Yeah, that's right. yeah, that's yeah. all. You know how to way to fix it. Right. Same thing with writing a song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. when you realize that, how are we gonna do this? <laughs> you know. Right. Right. Um. We talked about you putting the funk in the blues. I also want to mention a couple albums, Raw and Rawer Than Raw, where it's very stripped down. I think about a song like Down in Mississippi, where, you know, you're taking it down to the very most just like guitar, voice, some harmonica. It's very simple. And I think it's interesting. Again, it's a recipe. You can you can dress it up. You can make do a funk song. You can take a song. You can make it very stripped down. I'm curious for you, like when you write a new song, how you think about how you're going to present that song? Because there's a lot of different ways you could. Thank you. I'm glad to listen to this interview. I said, well, you got to think about what way you're going to cut. We're going to make cake today or we're going to make a pie today. Mm -hmm. Are we going to make a whatever you got to know, you can't make all of this, and, you know, you don't know where you're going. <laughs> you got to have it. So my thing is, is you got to think about your audience. If you want to sell hard candy, don't take it to the old folk home. <laughs> they, ain't got no, they ain't got no teeth to chew it. <laughs> Most of them I'm talking about. You want, if you don't notice, close to a school ground, a, a grammar school or what have you, they got a candy store. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> if it's a college, it's another kind of store. Huh. Kids grow a little older. Yeah. Eat different thing. If it's a black school, it's a different kind of culture of what they used to eat it. Mm-hmm. If you're in Chicago, it's the same thing, different colors. If it's New York, it's the same color, different flavors. <laughs> right. You follow me? Yeah. 
And don't be surprised when a bear go to the bathroom in the woods. Because <laughs> <laughs> where else he going to go? <laughs> Profound words. <laughs> oh, man. Been down in Mississippi and a show had a wonderful time. Been down in Mississippi and a show had a wonderful time. I got high drinking that moonshine. You know, my friend turned me down on Bill Street. Everybody I wanted to meet. Oh man, this has been great. This has yeah. been great talking to you yeah. guys, man. Yeah. And I'm so glad that Jeff set this together. He always surprised me with good things like this. This has been a good weekend for me. Yeah. Mm. It's absolutely uh amazing to I was there yesterday in the audience to watch you win your third Grammy and I was so happy for you and we're just so thrilled that you came by today on your way out of town to talk with us about songwriting and your career. And it's just a, a joy. And we congratulate you on all the continued success. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. The problem I have with your two guys. <laughs> uh oh. Is that uh, Lowe sitting over there and she looks so much better than you guys. I know. <laughs> we should have turned your chair <laughs> that way. <laughs> Sorry. We're making note of that for next time. If there's a lady in the room, we turn it down. <laughs> oh, man. This has been a pleasure. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, you and yeah. I talked yesterday for a long time Yeah, yeah. at the wars and uh, well, different, and different location in the wars and different rooms and what have you. Right. Well, we want to tell the listeners if they go on YouTube and, and look at the award ceremony yesterday they can uh see you accept that award and they can see miss Lowe in her beautiful dress standing right up there with you so uh, well if you don't know, well <laughs> I'll, the one i told you about you guys didn't look as good as Lowe, but that's 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 the only part i lied about <laughs> we do look good don't we yeah, we, we, look, you look, we do look, you look great you look great <laughs> thanks for listening to make sure you don't miss an episode of songcraft Please take a moment right now to subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can keep up with us on Instagram at Songcraft Conversations or Facebook at Songcraft Show. To join our team and help support our content, become a Songcraft patron at patreon.com. Visit patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And you can always find us at songcraftshow.com. 